Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Okay, it's been a few months since I've actually recorded a podcast, so it's good to be back. Things have slowed down in terms of podcast reporting over the holidays, but was not for bad reasons. In fact, it was actually for good reasons. There's a few things that have changed internally at the GHCC pod, but that means that we will be having some really exciting things coming up this year. So in the next few months, I hope to increase podcast production again. So keep an eye on your podcast feeds for that. But then I also hope to have some other stuff coming out that I'll be telling you about over time. So um, that's a teaser, I suppose. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, I'll go ahead and share a few exciting things that I have today. One is that the podcast now has a YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and type in GHCC pod, then you will find our channel, which you can subscribe to, and you will see our (laughs) one video. It's just one right now, but there will be more. But this is a good one. It's a clip from my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Heal about the PSYOP global mapping project and the results from Africa. And so it's a different way to represent the information that she's telling us. And we are hoping that it will communicate the information to different people and make it feel a little bit different. And so you can go ahead and share that on social media. You can post it on your own website if you want, or you can just go to YouTube and watch it. So yeah, we would appreciate it if you checked it out, gave us some feedback and subscribe to the channel. So that's one exciting thing. The other is that the podcast now has its own social media channels. So on Twitter, you can find us at GHCCpod. And on Facebook, you can find us if you just search Global Health and Childhood Cancer. So these channels are separate from the existing Cancer Point channels, just so that we can provide you with a consistent stream of podcast-related updates, if that's what you want. But you can also continue to receive updates about pediatric oncology training opportunities and interesting information that is coming out over at the Cancer Point channel. So we would encourage you to follow both. And the last piece of exciting news is that the podcast now has a sponsor. So right before the episode, you'll be hearing just a short uh, advertisement for the sponsor, but it's somebody that I really actually believe in. I think the company is doing really good work within global pediatric oncology, so I'm really comfortable with having them as a sponsor because the efforts of this podcast and the efforts of the company um, are really pointed in the same direction. So they're good partners to have. So you'll hear that right before we get to the conversation today. Speaking of today, you're going to hear a conversation between myself with Dr. Trin Israels and Dr. Festus Jaguna, and we will be discussing their collaborative project where several pediatric cancer treatment centers in sub-Saharan Africa have gotten together and have harmonized the way they've treated Wilms tumor. So this specific type of tumor is something that is highly treatable in high-income countries. We get really, really good results here in the United States and other of the richer countries. But in places that are more resource-constrained, the outcomes can be quite poor. You will hear us discuss the motivation for the project and how they came together to collaborate and how they maintain their collaboration over time. And then we'll also get to their exciting results because they're really doing great stuff. And um, in a short amount of time, they've accomplished a lot. Let me just say that. But I will let them explain the rest to you. Okay, so after a short break, 
to hear from our sponsors, we will go ahead and get to the episode. And now I'm going to tell you about my sponsor, Resonance Oncology. Parents of children who have cancer have many questions after diagnosis. Why does my child have cancer? Or how did she get it? But one of the most important questions that parents and providers want to answer is will she receive the best treatment possible? Every parent wants their child to receive the best care possible. And I know that every healthcare worker wants that as well. Unfortunately, cancer is a very complex disease to treat, and the quality of the care provided can always be improved. This is one of the main reasons why Resonance Oncology was founded. Its mission is to amplify the health of cancer patients through supporting clinical research, education, and a variety of quality improvement projects. Resonance and its network of experts facilitate local research and evidence-based practices through the deployment of information systems, mentoring, and statistical support that has helped improve outcomes with colleagues and customers in North America, South America, Africa, and Asia. I know the founders of Resonance personally, and believe me when I say, this is more than a business for them. They are passionate about improving cancer care around the world. The proof of their passion is that they offer their software solutions 100% for free for use in low- and middle-income countries. 100% for free. No strings attached. So if you have an idea on how to improve care where you work, especially if you're in a low- or middle-income country, but you're not certain how to get it done, or you just need additional support to do it, then contact the team at Resonance Oncology today. So to contact them, you can email them at info at resonancehealth.org, or you can go to the website www.amplifyinghealth.com, and you can look for these links in the podcast description in your podcast player. So use these links to schedule an appointment with Resonance Oncology to learn more about their mission and how they may assist you in providing the best care possible. Hey, everybody. So I'm here at a live recording at SIOP in person with Dr. Trent Israels and Dr. Festus Jaguna. And we're going to talk about the somewhat legendary project that is ongoing in Africa for Wilms Tumor. So it's called the SIOP Africa slash PODC Collaborative Wilms Tumor Project. Um, and they're going to tell us what it's all about and uh, the results that they've had so far. So thanks for being here with us. Trent and Festus, could you go ahead and just introduce yourselves? Uh, where do you work and how did you come to be involved in the project? So I'm Festus Juguna and I'm a pediatrician working in Eldoret in Kenya. And uh, I've been involved in the, this initiative, which is a collaboration between several African countries. And uh, this started off also because I um, have a, a collaboration with the Princess Maxima Center, where I try and who is the lead of the project uh, is uh, based. And I'm happy to be part of the project. Very good. Thank you. And my name is, uh, as you said, uh, Trein Israels, and I'm currently based at the Princess Maxima Center in Utrecht, as Vestus already said, at the outreach program. 
as a coordinator of clinical research in Sub-Saharan Africa. And how did I get involved? That's because more than 10 years ago, I was working in Malawi, in Sub-Saharan Africa, as a general pediatrician and also doing the daily rounds on the ward for children with cancer. And with a, la- a local team and uh, Dr. Jan de Kraker, a pediatric oncologist from the Netherlands, um, implementing an adapted treatment guideline for children with Wilms tumor, a certain kidney tumor. And we learned a lot from that. And later with a group in SIOPUDC produced adapted treatment guidelines for low-income countries and step-by-step then implementing these guidelines. That's the project that uh, we're talking about today. Okay, very good. So tell us a little bit more about that experience. So you um, recognize that patients with Wilms tumor, so this kidney tumor, were being treated, but that there were ways that it could be improved. And so you mentioned the adaptive treatments. So what were you doing beforehand and what changed? What is the process now? Do you mean in Malawi or do you mean in the projects that were started now? Uh, so let's go with Malawi first. Okay. So in Malawi, um, there was a, about 10 years ago, a childhood cancer unit that had been there for several years already. And they were uh, treating children with this type of tumor, the Wilms tumor. But they did not have all the drugs available. And there were there was room of improvement of... Um, modifying the adapted treatment guideline, looking at the lessons learned in Europe. So that's one of the things we did, which included um, uh, treating the children before surgery so that it would be easier to take the tumor out. Possibly more importantly, we also included uh, strategies to enable parents to complete the treatment, something that's a major challenge in low-income countries, and also included nutritional support for the children. Okay. So by adaptive treatment, you mean that it it is lower intensity than what you would use in other places that may have more supportive care. Is that correct? I think that's a pragmatic summary, mm-hmm. but I would rather say that it's modified to be appropriate for the setting, which as you're saying, is very often reduced intensity mm-hmm. um, because children are very malnourished. And maybe there's then there's often limited resources, limited supportive care, limited nursing care. But it can also mean other things. So anything that you think that in that setting will be appropriate to improve survival. Yeah, so the, the main thing is that uh, in uh, many of the African countries, let's say 10, 15 years ago, there was not a coordinated approach in terms of uh, treating childhood cancers. And uh, this initiative uh, came on board at an appropriate time where now we sort of can approach the treatment of Wilms tumor in a more or less uh, a uniform manner to be able to compare the treatment regimens and the outcomes across uh, the different uh, countries. But more importantly, it helps you to be able to identify which resources you need and uh, which personnel you need to be able to achieve uh, good outcomes and then be able to make improvements once uh, you have the the results of the outcomes available. I got it. And so, Trin, you said that this started in Malawi, um, where you noticed that care could be improved, but then somewhere along the way, I guess other countries got involved. So can you tell me about the development of the collaborative? Yeah, so I think for me as a person, it started in Malawi because I was invited by the local team and Dr. Jan de Kraker to coordinate this, this implementing this adaptive treatment guideline, learned a lot during those years. And then um, 
when we had these consensus published adaptive treatment guidelines, all easier said than done, but when they were there, then I think everyone felt that it was time to see if we could do it with more centers. Also looking at the developments in high-income countries, Europe and North America, that's how pediatric oncology grew and how um, outcomes became better just by working together. And as Festus said, uh, you need to join forces to be able to answer questions. So move very much also through SIOP meetings. There was mm -hmm. also already a bit of a community of those brave persons who in Sub-Saharan Africa were leading the treatment for children with cancer in their center. And we got together as a group, friends, colleagues, and step-by-step -step, um, decided to do this together and how to do this together. And so what other countries are involved? So, um, so of course, Malawi is involved, Ghana is involved, Cameroon is involved, and uh, Kenya is involved as well. And uh, Zimbabwe is also involved. Yeah. In Zimbabwe. Yeah. Okay. And, and usually, um, I completely understand your question, but usually we like to say centers in countries, because mm -hmm. like in Malawi, there are several centers, and in Kenya, there are several centers. Maybe it goes too far to say which centers are involved, but it's those countries as mentioned. Yeah. No, that's important to think about, that just because you know one center is involved, that still means that there could be other centers in a country that yep. will still yeah. need to develop. Yeah. Very good. Um, and so, again, just starting with this collaborative, what was it like working together to come up with both the adaptive treatment guidelines and then figure out how to deploy this in all the various centers that you're uh, working in? So thank you for the question. And I don't know where to start to <laughs> sure, answer. I, know. Um, I think we've learned so much yeah. over the last couple of years. And I think that one of the main things maybe that I heard from the leads of the centers was that what was so good to be together with uh, leaders from Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, together talking together during coffee breaks, dinner, walks about shared challenges and solutions, hopefully sustainable solutions that each and everyone had found in their center instead of somebody from, a, from, for example, Malawi talking with somebody from North America or Europe. It was now a group of clinicians in Sub-Saharan Africa talking together. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your original question, but I think that's the feeling that I, impression that I got very much from the first one, two years uh, of developing this project. If I can say something else, what we did when we had the idea to do this, to implement the Adaptive Treatment Guideline, we organized a work meeting in Malawi mm -hmm. with all the local leaders. I think it was five or six then. And step by step discussed each and every step of the process. So how do we want to do this? How would do we don't want to do that? Do we want to collect data? on this item, on that item, is it feasible? What about the collaborative agreement? So in person, a short work meeting, two to three days with a limited number of person, I think we have learned that that is really a way to make a lot of progress. It's interesting. So you said a limited number of persons. How did you go about choosing who should be there? All the local leaders of the participating centers at that time were all present. Very good. And what, what year was this that it started? So this meeting um, was, I think, 2012, 2012, when we got together and then eventually started 
including patients or try treating patients according to our common protocol uh, two years later because of course we had to go for IRB approval uh, get funding I got it yeah. and had anything like this been um, tried before in the in sub-saharan Africa so there's the French African Pediatric Oncology Group from whom we've learned a lot and who are doing very similar things with also common and curable cancers and making lots of progress with that as well. Um, so yes, it had been done before. And why Wilms tumor? Why, why that among all the different tumors that we could potentially approach? So Wilms tumor is one of the tumors with very good uh, outcomes. And this uh, has been noted from the high-income countries. And the way they improved the cure rates for Wim's tumor was through working through collaborative uh, groups, which uh, started way back 20, 30, 40 years ago, and now with survivors approaching uh, more than 90% in the ones with uh, uh, non-metastatic disease. So I think uh, the, the initial idea was to try and treat this tumor that we know with little uh, resources can be easily cured. Once you get two or three drugs for chemotherapy, you get a good surgeon, and of course you get a good supportive care. You can easily match the outcomes in high-resource countries. I see. So there was a clear number, of, a limited number of things that needed to change to get really, really good results. Yes, you really didn't require very fancy equipment or right. things like that to improve the survival. Great. And if I can add to that, I think one of the other reasons why to choose Wilms or maybe why we were happy to choose Wilms was that one of the goals of this project was to facilitate the development of an active regional network, but also to strengthen the multidisciplinary teams. Um, and then with Wilms tumor, of course, you need your surgeon, uh, need your pathologist. So even though more challenging, we thought it was, was worth choosing one which would benefit that side of the project as well. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, and we mentioned it a little earlier, but can you comment a little more on what specifically changed, um, just kind of in, in broad strokes, what changed about how you were treating patients and how you were approaching the supportive care throughout treatment? I think in terms of improvement uh, for the care of patients, having a uniform protocol and working in a collaborative manner, make sure you as a leader of the specific center, you try to follow the treatment as much as possible. When you are working on your own, if something is missing, then uh, you may not be, you know, you may not have the push to look for a solution. But I think uh, working together as a team uh, means that, you know, if you need to use a drug, let me give an example of increasing and it's not missing, then you go out of your way to make sure that uh, it is available. Mm. So then in a way that makes sure more resources are available. When you talk to the other members of the multidisciplinary team, as been mentioned, the surgeons, you know, you tell them this is the approach that we'd want to use to treat these patients. And uh, doing things the same way over and over gives you more experience. And that has been shown in the long term to improve uh, the outcome. And another thing that was added with this project is something that seems very simple, but has been very impactful which is, um, as we discussed before, enabling parents to complete treatment. So in those years in Malawi, survival increased from below 30%, maybe below 25%. For Wilms tumor? Or yeah, or for Alcom? Wilms tumor. Okay. Yeah, thank you. To um, 46% uh, two-year eventory survival. And that was mostly by, or the most impactful was that before 
over 40% of patients of parents were not able to complete treatment of their child. And during that period in Malawi, only 6% of parents did not complete treatment, which is a, well, in high income countries, usually it's everyone completely, but for Sub-Saharan Africa, 6% is a very low figure. And all credits to the local team. And also, we think very important that during that period, we had funding for transport costs. So mm-hmm. patients, parents did not have to buy bus ticket to come back to the hospital for treatment when they do not have any cash money. So the funding that we're getting for this uh, Wilms Tumor Africa project, both from SIOP and from World Child Cancer, a significant amount is used to transfer to the centers where the local leads can decide how to use it to, su- to support the parents. And that um, has contributed to a decrease in abandonment of treatment in this project as well. From uh, 24%, almost one in four children before we started, to now a bit over 10% uh, of the patients. So that that is for now the biggest contribution that we've made. And it was also our primary aim to establish a network and reduce abandonment. Very good. So it was... Money for transport costs? And then what other types of support for the families did you provide? Giving support in terms of um, enabling them to have better nutrition and, uh, of course, uh, better education for the parents. Yeah. Because without uh, proper counseling and education, that has also contributes to parents uh, stopping treatment. I see. But the support for transport and uh, being able to understand the nature of the disease I think that has made an impact. So so the every center is different and the situation in every center is different. In Malawi, medical treatment is free, which is not the case, for example, in the centers in Kumasi and, and Akka. So the local lead can decide whether he, he or she uses the funds to either pay for treatment for the patient or use it for nutritional support or use it for transport support, whatever he or she thinks is the best way in his or her center to support the parents. Yeah, so it's kind of a a personalized approach according to what the center understands parents need. Yeah, and I think that is one of the strengths of uh, this approach because even uh, when it comes to the actual treatment itself, the centers are allowed to have some uh, slight variation depending on what is available in each center so it's not like uh you know a very you know rigid approach to the treatment if you are missing something or you feel you need to do something extra that is allowed and i think that leads the the team leaders to support it even more because otherwise then they'll feel like uh, you know there's somebody who is giving us directives but then they're allowed to make decisions at the local level yeah if i can add to that um that that's flexibility is really the result of that meeting that we had before starting the project, where we were aiming for as much uniformity as possible, but also clinical discretion, flexibility where needed. So we decided that preoperative chemotherapy is the same for everyone uniform. Postoperative, so before surgery for everyone, it's the same. In each center, we'll do the same guideline. Uh, but after surgery, for the centers which have radiotherapy available, of course, they should use it for their patients. If they don't have it, then you don't use it. So we're finding the way together. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a very important lesson that 
uh, I'm hearing from this, that you decided up front what is both not negotiable in terms of what you all need to do together, but then also what should be personalized according to the specific context. Yes, I'm very, very happy. I think that we took the time, if that's proper English, to sit down and discuss that all the way through. That has been uh, time invested in a very, very good way. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Um Okay, so we talked about the specific changes that your collaborative made, and you mentioned uh, some of your results with improved survival, but can you go ahead and tell us um, over what time frame, first of all, are you going to, have you measured results, and then what have you seen so far with the project? So we've measured over the uh, last four years, and we did a baseline assessment retrospective so looking back in the files we did a baseline assessment before starting the project um so what we found uh, before we started the project was as discussed that about one in four children did not complete treatment which came down to about 10 percent, actually 12 percent. now we wanted to go below 10 percent and what we also want to go below 10 percent is children who die during treatment often is a combination of disease and the side effects of treatment. Difficult to say, but we really don't want that. So we want that to go less than 10%. And it was one in five children before the uh, project and not really coming down first to 13%, now 15%. So what we decided as a group is that we need to do is to improve the supportive care to help children through treatment. In terms of survival, which of course always is the most important, we didn't have results telling about long-term survival in the centers participating because you need long-term follow-up for that which is very challenging in centers we now know that uh, two-year event-free survival is now 50 percent which you want to go up to well we're aiming for at least 60 percent um, and this is mostly a, and we think it increased from about 35 percent before but that's a bit of an estimate Wow. So just to review those numbers, so 35% of kids were surviving the Wilms tumor treatment before the initiative, and then you said 50% four years after starting. And then you've decreased abandonment in half from, you said, one in four to um, 12%, so just over 10%. Um, and then we're still working on reducing the death during treatment, although it's reduced some, but it's still not clear how effective it's been. That's a good summary. Correct. Okay. Well, in this short time frame that you guys have been working, I mean, they seem like pretty incredible numbers that you had clear targets of what you were setting out to do, and you have um, either met or almost met those targets, but then there's also some clear path forward for you in terms of how to take next steps. So first of all, I mean, congratulations on your work. This seems like a big step forward for the centers involved. Um, and then also, I want to Take a second and ask you guys, you know, can you reflect what have you learned in this process in terms of you've, you've told us some stuff about what you've learned, but um, other kind of points you've taken away that will inform your steps towards the future and then what's next for the project? Lots of questions. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, so I think lessons learned in general, communication key, web meetings, nice, emails, nice, but in person, so much better. That's when we make progress. Principles, very important. Go for long term, local clinicians setting the priorities for to give uh, priority to interventions with highest expected impact on child survival. Step by step, uh, another principle and aiming for uh, sustainable interventions, of course. Another lesson learned, procedures, good to have them in place, but as a group, most important to most important to have shared aims mm -hmm. and vision. 
essential to have a transparent way of working together and very, very helpful to have fun uh, together hmm. uh, at a regular basis. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let me pull on that thread a little more because this, this idea of collaboration and maintaining shared goals seems to keep coming up. So how specifically do you do that? You mentioned web meetings and um, I guess having fun together, but what does that practically look like? As, as has been mentioned by trying, trying to, you know, have uh, the, the local leaders take up the initiative and uh, make local decisions. And then when we have these group meetings, mm -hmm. you know, each person giving their thoughts about their ideas and then coming up with one uh, common uh, aim and uh, vision, I think, uh, and, and trying to have physical meetings. I think uh, that has seemed to help a lot. And uh, this happens either separate meetings or taking advantage of other meetings that are ongoing like uh, SIOP. I think uh, that seems to, to really help. And having a committed uh, leader, because uh, Trine has really put in her time and effort into making this work. Very good. And how often do you meet together online and in person? So in person, would usually vary from one to two times in a year, depending on uh, what meetings are available. Yeah, and then we try to have a, I think now we are trying to make sure every month there's some sort of a web connection. And you mentioned having fun together. What, did, what does that mean? Like uh, the other time we we were in Netherlands and uh, we went uh, kayaking together. Ah. <laughs> and uh, we realized that, you know, to move that thing forward, you need to work together as a team. So, you know, things like those. Yeah, life lessons from uh, from shared experiences. Very good. Okay, so what's next? What's next um, in concrete steps is to, uh, we're together developing Wilbs Tumor Phase 2, uh, where we're making a few uh, quality improvement steps and a few revisions in the guideline and in the case reporting form. What's next is that as a group, we've started a, a project to improve supportive care with lots of other steps. I think that's enough work for the, for the time to come step by step. Very <laughs> yep. good. Okay. Any other thoughts, Festus, in terms of what's next for you? I think continue the capacity building, uh, especially in terms of uh, data collection and uh, uh, analysis of data and how to use it to improve a uh, local situation. I think that mm. is a, an ongoing process. And I think uh, by the end of all these efforts, we'll have uh, leaders who are able to, you know, utilize local resources, utilize local data to inform local decision making. Yeah, and I think that's something very important that came up in our last meeting. And in our last meeting, we also, with help from uh, Lillian Soong, articulated our more broader mission and vision for the group, which is, and those two projects fit into it, which is to contribute to, our vision is that children with common and curable cancers in Sub-Saharan Africa will achieve survival rates over 60%, still lots of work to do. And this vision is in line with the global initiative uh, recently launched by the WHO. And we think that the specific contribution of our group can be to develop, implement and assess adaptive treatment guidelines with a focus on preventing abandonment and supportive care. So that's sort of the broader direction that we want to go and the sort of more specific contribution that we, th can, we think we can make as a, as a regional network. And you mentioned in the course of your talks here at SIOP that you have two ongoing projects that I think are related to the Wilms Tumor Collaborative. Um, can you tell us just very briefly about 
what those are? So one of the projects is what we are calling the SOCA project, which is basically a supportive care project. And uh, this looks at uh, specific components, including uh, febrile neutropenia, including uh, survival during treatment, and also thinking about looking at other components like use of alternative medicine. But this is mainly geared at uh, improving, looking at the baseline standards for supportive care and looking at what areas we can uh, intervene to improve on that. And the other project that you're referring to is a project which is uh, which is in Malawi currently, but if we hope eventually in all centers participating, which is aiming towards 0% abandonment of treatment, which would mean that um, all parents of all children coming with common incurable cancers can be able to... Um, can be enabled to finish uh, the treatment of their child, which I think if we're, we're aiming towards that in Malawi now with funding also from uh, Sonovia Spar, uh, My Child Matters. Um, but if ever we can reach that goal in all centers participating, then that would be our ultimate dream, wouldn't it? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Well, if anybody is listening out there who may be interested in some of these projects, um, is there a way they can get in touch with you to talk a little bit more? Yeah, of course, and they're most welcome. So they can get in touch by email, I would say. Yeah, yeah. that's good. So we will have Trends and Festus's emails up at the website, ghccpod.com. So you can find it in the podcast description, or you can just type it into your web browser. So if you want to get in touch with them, then go to the website, ghccpod.com, and um, yeah, get involved. Uh, okay, well, unfortunately, we are running out of time. This time has gone really fast. So uh, it, I, thank you guys for talking to me. Uh, is there anything else we haven't covered that you'd like to leave as a closing word? Well, working together will always uh, make things better. And as been mentioned, all these projects are in line with the WHO initiative in terms of reducing uh, the deaths among students with cancer. Yeah, I think collaboration has been a, a growing theme at the PSYOP conference as well. So I think your collaborative is a very good example of how to do that well. So. And we would also like to thank uh, all our uh, colleagues, friends, uh, collaborators, sponsors, uh, everyone who uh, supported uh, the work that we're all together doing. Yeah, it's a cool community that you have. So um, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time.